If anyone asks, you're Suki. Welcome back. Uh, this is Takes of Our Lives, and I'm Vince Kochi, and I'm joined, as I will be for the foreseeable future, by my close friend, Steve Wilk. Hey, Steve. Hey, man. I'm uh, just here camping out in the tent, listening to the Model Home Mix. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm doing great. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting, camping indoors. <laughs> well, they set up that tent inside. I, all right. This, well, I don't want to just dive straight into it, but the amount of, like... Um, I don't know, like decorating they did in that room for him seemed counterproductive to keeping it a secret. I'm going to go so far as to say excessive. And if you haven't (laughs) caught on yet, listeners, we're talking about season one, episode two of The O.C., titled Model Home. And this is subsequently season one, episode two of Takes of Our Lives. And we're going to break down the second episode in the first season of The O.C. And it's a doozy, isn't it, Steve? I think so anyway. It's a total doozy. Um, it's I. This is one episode where you can just the the title alone like really um, brings up a lot of memories of the episode. I mean, you don't. This is one where you, it's it's all there. It's all there in the title. Uh, the model home. A uh, lot of great shit that I'm really excited to get into about this episode. Absolutely. Now I think like setting some context for this episode uh, broadly, they they did the thing that a lot of shows do. Where they, they have the pilot, so they introduce this to all the characters, and then they come out with a big a big home run swing. They don't mm-hmm. they don't couch into the drama. They don't they don't like wean us on into the later episodes. They just go for a home run right away. Um, because they need to catch people's interest. And that's what Model Home was, really. It was their big dramatic set piece to get people hooked on the show and they did it through the the mechanism of this model home which we're sort of alluded to that kirsten seth's mother sandy's wife um sells renovates it's it's not like entirely clear right away uh but she hasn't been able to offload this property ryan has to go back to the foster family but instead of doing that he runs away from home and hides out in the model home. Yes, Seth's idea. Seth's master plan. And it's <laughs> a, a plan ma- with a many stroke. <laughs> is Magnum Opus. It's a it's a plan with many pitfalls, I would say. Uh but we can we can address that later. On your rewatch, Steve, yeah. what did you notice about this episode? Okay. Um so first thing, y- y- all right, so you've it definitely is a big swing and I think a big hit. Um, Agreed. It's it's one that I wouldn't go back to uh, if I was just, you know, I, I think I said this about the pilot last week. Like if I was just going to, if I was asked to just pick a random OC episode to sit down and watch, I don't think Model Home would be one of the first ones that I thought of. Uh, I kind of am looking at these first three episodes, uh, kind of, I kind of section them off in my head. I'm really pretty anxious to get kind of to mid-season form with this show when things are really uh, popping and we get a more, little more characters to kind of think about and, you know, plots go off in various directions. But uh, so right now, you know, I'm feeling a little boxed in with the uh, character count, and but it's pretty focused. Uh, so that was one thing 
that I definitely kind of felt uh, upon this rewatch, just kind of a little anxious to get uh, into the more of the thick of it. Um, yeah, it's interesting because <clears throat> my rewatch reaction was of surprise, sort of surprise at how quickly things are escalating. So I, mm. I realize uh, that, you, you know, memory is fuzzy. So when I think back on the whole first season of this show, I have all the developments sort of spread out evenly throughout all 27 episodes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not really the case. A few things jumped off the page to me right away, or I should say off the screen, I guess. I'm reading my notes now, but I was watching the show recently. Uh, first of all, how quickly Seth and Ryan become buddies. We we really dial up the relationship between those two pretty aggressively. It went from just meeting each other to not wanting him to leave in the, sp in the span of maybe like one in-show week yeah, uh, and one episode for us. So that, that was interesting to me, though in rewatching it, it did not feel forced. It felt unexpected, but not forced. What did you think about it, Steve? I think it makes sense because Seth is a loner. You know, he this is, it, it kind of makes sense that he would latch on to this person who he thinks is, I mean, he he views him as like super cool. Uh, and, mm. But I just don't get the sense that Seth has a lot of friends generally. So I don't think it's He does super hit us with that great that. line to Sandy. You force me to hang around oh, these God. pod people. <laughs> and the first minute or the first time I get introduced to someone cool, you, you send them away. Kick them out of the house. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. That the other thing I or I mean there there was a few things that stuck out to me but yeah uh, I was a little annoyed with Seth in episode one and this episode he's really I mean the sarcasm is ramped all the way up and he's yes. a little petulant you know he's got a couple lines like the one you just mentioned uh, there's that scene where he's talking to the cops and he kind of gives them that like bullshit line about um, Ryan went to Mexico to you know bet on cockfighting and then. And then Sandy's like, come on, get serious. And Seth's like, what? I didn't, I didn't know the guy. I never got the chance. Like he, you know, there's, there's, there's shades of petulance along yeah, with the sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, Brody, Seth really, uh, rounding into form early. I felt watching this episode. And I couldn't agree more. I think he really spread his wings in this episode. I do want to talk about some, an, an opposite, uh, phenomenon. Uh, this will be sort of a recurring mini segment, but our Bartometer, Oh, Misha God. Barton uh, being infamous for her uneven performances, sometimes somewhat inspired, sometimes abysmal. I think in this episode, despite the fact that they were doing some interesting things with her character that I want to discuss, I think her acting went off the side of a cliff, personally, <laughs> in this episode. It was, it was abysmal, I would say. I've got some notes on that. Uh, uh, we'll save that. There's there's a special. Uh, I think that this is the f so soundtrack when our segment that we'll get to. This is the first time where they directly address um, you know their music tastes and yes. Barton's Barton's line reading in that scene. Um, I've got some notes. I guess I'll just leave it at that. But, <laughs> Plenty uh, <laughs> of material. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up is sort of um, this will be a nice bookend to the what happens in the plot of the episode. But I was, I did not remember how it ended. I remembered that mm -hmm. the thing burned down. You know, right. everyone remembers that about the model home. But I did not remember the Luke beating up Ryan, going back into the fire to save yep. him, mm -hmm. saving him a second time while he's hitchhiking, and then fessing up to the police about what happens. Uh, I remembered fuzzily the Luke redemption arc happening slowly, over maybe episodes 
four through eight because I know in the in the middle of the season he becomes a regular player, one of the one of the buddies. Um, but I did not remember it happening so soon. Yeah, that stuck out to me as well because he's really. I mean, he's such a piece of shit in the first episode, which we didn't. All right, uh, I'm not going to belabor this, but I really would be remiss if we didn't at least um, mention the beach fight from the episode one. I don't know how we forgot to touch on that besides your um, impeccable line reading to open the show. But uh, welcome to the OC, bitch. This is how it's done in Orange County. First of all, that line, or welcome to the OC, bitch, may be the most famous line in the entire series, improvised. I have a feeling that in the script it was just, this is how it's done in Orange County, but he hit him with the welcome to the OC, bitch. And just one note on that. So he says that line after he kicks Ryan in the groin while he's on the ground. So is that is that how it's done in Orange County? <laughs> <laughs> Kicking a defenseless man <laughs> in the and groin. It's, it's apropos that you bring it up because Luke kicks Ryan's ass not once but twice in this episode. So that's three ass kickings in two episodes. Um, they fight again in the in the seaside diner. I wish I remember the name of that place. That's not a. We... That's not a. That's not a Luke kicking Ryan's ass. Luke Ryan punches Luke and he oh, that, yeah, flips yeah, over right. a table and then. You're but right. yeah, well, there's there's another segment that will will break that down even further. But um, sorry, I interrupted you. <clears throat> no, no, not at all. Um, they they get the the two of them don't really get along in the first two episodes, do they? But not at all. Um, that's why I was so surprised. At the end, Luke gets his heart of gold moment, which is not something uncommon in these sort of series to have the early villain revealed to be uh, not such a bad guy. And he'll sort of be turned into an antihero as the as the series goes on. But um, I was pretty I was pretty flabbergasted by how quickly it precipitated. Yeah, that was fast. And also I have uh, just Luke's particular brand of bullying feels like it's from a totally different time. Just like, just expound. I I agree. I think, but please. Continue. Okay. Well, just I mean, he is like the trope of tropes. Just like the yes. rich, good looking. I mean, he's a jock, rich jock asshole. Like just like total asshole. Like has called Seth a queer twice now in two episodes. True. Um, that doesn't fly anymore. That's not good. You can't. No. You shouldn't have done it then, and you shouldn't do it now. Absolutely not. But um. That kind of stuck out to me, just like that. So before he he has that turn at the end, there's like absolutely no nuance to this character whatsoever. Um, and the, again, we'll get to it later in the diner scene. But um, yeah, just like in, just just a total asshole to everybody. Uh, <laughs> yes. yeah. it, it it was my favorite line of the episode, though. We get a we get a good Ryan one liner, and I I will we'll talk about Ryan's performance too throughout the episode. But he he smacks Luke gives him a, a haymaker and then he says oh well, he before he hits him he says you know what i like about rich kids nothing and then <laughs> hauls off and hits him and it's it's such a good line that seth repeats it in the next scene yep that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good which i think is a, a small but important moment in the series and I don't want to. I don't want to ascribe too much to it, like uh, some sort of posthumous historian. But uh, it's really the first tiny shred of meta awareness that the show lets peek through. Mm. Uh, like that line was such a good one-liner. Like Seth, Seth is sort of alluding to this, and it's not going to be the last time. 
the show celebrates its own writing, which is one of the things I find charming about it at points. No, yeah, you're you're 100 percent correct. But yeah, just recounting the um, when they're, they're back in the uh, the model home, and yeah, <laughs> that's Great. such a. <laughs> Such a strange little treehouse situation, but we can we can start breaking that down in our first uh, first rotating segment of the day, the O scene. So the O scene is as it sounds. It's a scene that makes us go O. Oh. And there are plenty of candidates today. A high drama episode, I would say. Hundred percent. I've got I've got two that um, I want to break down. One more than the other, but. Why don't you start us off? What what's, okay. which scene made you say oh, and for what I'm, reason? I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off with uh, mine comes in pairs, and I've already mentioned it. Uh, the Luke going back to save Ryan, and then he he pulls him out of the burning model home. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're wondering how does the home start on fire, they get into fisticuffs. Luke thinks Ryan and Marissa are sleeping together. But that's not the case, and he beats up Ryan, and he knocks over one of the thirty candles. Yeah, what a, what a <laughs> they said no less than thirty. I, I, the count might be higher than that, but so there's all these candles in this half finished home where Ryan is camping out. And this and is he, he did not do this for Marissa. If you'll remember, she the the scene that you're describing is preceded by her surprising him, asking yes. to stay the night, and him rejecting her so it's he's doing this for himself (laughs) (laughs) it's candle therapy uh popular in 2019 less so uh when the show debuted but yeah uh, i think i mean worth discussing in a minute too the marissa scene which Mm -hmm. is a nice it's a flip on what you might expect from that scene there was for me at least um a subversion i would call it but uh yeah then after luke knocks ryan out place starts on fire his two weaselly jock friends flee the scene and <laughs> i want to uh back. i want a quick note on that um i'm gonna make a suggestion that we just call every oc bro unnamed oc bro chad and any apologies <laughs> to any cool chads out there but i was there was one line that i wanted i was i was like i actually went back to look up like oh did they mention this character's name and then i was kind of like what am i doing why <laughs> this is so unimportant so let's just just say chad and yes, chads the two chads uh well well founded steve um they flee and luke goes back drags him out of the smoke and then fireman he, like, carry Yes, he does. He's showing off his strength. Um, Lays him on the ground outside, checks to see if he's breathing, and then says, run. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, bare minimum trying to save him, but he's at least doing it. And then uh, sort of reflected later when he drops Ryan off when the police are at the Cohen residence and then confesses to why it was an accident. And that's where we leave the episode, actually. We leave it on that note. Uh, mm-hmm. With Luke getting the the sort of final say, very interesting. Uh, I become fond and then unfond of Luke's character as the season progresses, and this this one really it was sort of tender. It was nice. I I, I enjoyed what they did with this character, and it surprised me, the viewer, even after seeing it before. Yeah, like you said before, I was surprised that it happened as quickly as it did. His kind of like face turn if i'm going to use a wrestling mm. <laughs> a wrestling term yes uh, 
It's not a heel turn. It's the opposite. It's a face turn. So, um, but yeah, it happens quick. And and t- I mean, he has he he really does you know twice uh, really kind of backs up Ryan for once by saving his life, which is I guess you could you could argue that he didn't want to be charged for manslaughter or anything worse. Uh, you know, if Ryan dies <laughs> yeah, in that a- fire. Yeah, uh, you're right. But he's kind of saving his own ass there in a sense. But he's also saving Ryan's life, so he gets. Uh, I'll give him credit for that. But then also, you know, because he when he picks up Ryan when he, while he's hitchhiking, he's doing that. He went out to find him to tell him, "Hey, keep your mouth shut, and they might not ever know it's us." And Ryan yeah. has different ideas. So you know, Luke easily could have been like, "Fuck this," you know, "I'm I'm I'm going to stick with my plan and not you know not fess up." But uh, no, that he, might be the he, most he does the right thing, thing again. It. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just as he said, um, <clears throat> it shows that he he was won over. Ryan Ryan talked some moral sense into him mm-hmm. on the drive over, and that's that's very interesting that we see that off camera. Um, but I, I I found the whole that whole uh, series of scenes very fun to watch and interesting. Yeah, I agree, and I really like the. There's a good piece of um, just visual storytelling when Marissa runs out of the house after she's been rejected she gets in her car pulls away and it's all one take and as she's pulling out of the the frame it kind of slow zooms in on luke who's been sitting there in his car watching and then ryan runs out after marissa and luke knows okay you know this is something's going on here yeah uh, i really i really liked that wanted to shout that out absolutely uh good shout speaking of of good shouts how what made you go oh steve oh boy all right um the diner scene. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot going on. Just a master stroke of dialogue writing. <laughs> uh, first off, the nice little uh, back and forth between Marissa and Seth. Did you ever read On the Road? Is that a foundational text for you? No, I've got a very funny personal story about that, but um, we can save that. For oh, the... dude, this is a perfect time. Give, I love this story. Just do oh, the bridge okay. version if you unless unless you don't want to be exposed. No, no, please expose me for for the entertainment of the listener. I'll be happily exposed. Um, on the road, never read it. Uh, when I was first courting my now girlfriend Sarah, uh, we were on a little known app called Tinder, and we were going back and forth. She's a very well read woman, very uh, intelligent, and she was talking to me about favorite books, and intending to sound worldly <laughs> just like the characters in this scene uh i said my favorite one of my favorite books is the road now astute listeners will know that that is not the same book as on the road which i intended to say was one of my favorite books so the lie is twofold first i lied and then i got it wrong the road is a is a dystopian uh, novel um and it's very bleak Yes, and Cormac McCarthy, extremely gnarly. Uh, the movie <laughs> with is, it with that, is that Vigo? I believe so. I okay. believe you've got that right. Um, extremely so anyway, gnarly shit happens in that movie. I never read the book, but sorry I, I started reading the book. But that's getting that's putting the cart before the horse because a year and a half later, we are still together and we're at a bookstore in Kansas City, and there is a copy of The Road. That is uh, like a throwback cover. And she's like, oh, this is really cool. It's only a few bucks. You should get it. You don't own a copy. It's your favorite book. And I go, huh? I go, what? And she goes, 
the road it's one of your favorite books and i look at her like she's crazy and i'm like i've never read that in my life what are you talking about and immediate fallout (laughs) 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 she she exposes me with saved screenshots oh my god yeah yeah physical evidence uh you know to her it was like a nice cute early bonding moment we had and then I go and I screwed it all up. I really fricked it up. So as my penance, I had to buy it, and she wanted me to read it, but it was so depressing after the first few pages that I I begged her for to be to relinquish my sentence. And <laughs> I still own a copy of The Road, but I've never read On the Road, which I hear is great, and it's endorsed by Seth and Marissa, which I yes. think is what you're alluding to. Indeed, that's a great story. <laughs> uh, okay, so I've never read On the Road either. Um, I I haven't been privy to the pancake tour of North America. Um, but Seth seems like it's something important to Seth. But anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. What I do want to talk about is the confrontation between Luke, the Chads, Ryan, and Seth. Mm. So um, first of all, Luke and the Chads coming into the restaurant could not be more obnoxious. They both, Luke like kind of hits the door in this like kind of aggressive way. And then his bro right behind him does the exact same thing. That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> they sit down at a booth and Luke immediately is like, hey, what's it take to get a menu here? <laughs> okay. And so they real okay, then, um, you know, Ryan, Marissa and Seth realize it's time to leave. Uh, so, you know, Marissa goes over there to sit with Luke uh, as a distraction Seth and Ryan are made to go out the back door. A server says, hey, front door. Like, she cares where, where they exit <laughs> from. So they are, you know, rerouted to the front door. Uh, Ryan puts up his hood, which will be crucial uh, momentarily. <laughs> I don't, don't want to break in with too much flattery, but your recantation of the scene is way, is like better even than the scene, which is already great. <laughs> I've got the script here in front of me. I'm I'm just reading straight off of the screenplay. (laughs) So um, Seth uh, bumps into a bus boy. The bus tub goes crashing to the ground. This, of course, alerts uh, Luke to their presence there. Um, I'm I'm not going to do every single line. I'll just do a couple of my favorites here. Luke to Seth, shut up, queer. Luke to Ryan, you're a little far from eight mile. That was actually a good line. And he like flips the hood down. (laughs) Luke to Marissa, what are you, the spokesperson for Geeks of America or something? <laughs> Terrible line. Just like, would that, <laughs> didn't fly in 2003, probably wouldn't have flown in 1983. Uh, just, just dumb. No, terrible. Ryan to Luke, you've done this one, but you know what I like about rich kids? Nothing. Punches Ooh. him right in the face, like sends him over the table, which, uh, you know, strong the hit there. physical action in this episode, really good. Extremely. Seth to Ryan. That was awesome as he's running out of the door. Loved that line. Uh, and then, okay, and that, so there, this kind of borders on farce. Like Ryan, like quickly do it, unlocking like the smallest bike lock anyone's ever seen. And yeah. Seth holding the door back with four huge dudes, you know, trying to get out. No, we were watching that, that last night doing our research. And, and uh, my, my girlfriend, Sarah, like laughed out loud at the little bike lock yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really good i don't and know then, if they intended it to be comedy but it was it was high comedy super funny and then just as a little coda um the the next scene 
uh, you know, where they're recounting the fight or whatever. And Marissa comes, uh, you know, she like storms in. Seth to Marissa, sup, foo. Did you, did you, did you hear that? <laughs> he says, sup, fool, to her. <laughs> I missed it. That had to been improvised. Great so Brody weird. there. Um, but yeah. The Brody, I don't want to step on this too much. And we've already mentioned the Brody and, um, and Barton interplay in mm. this episode, despite Barton, uh, pardon my, my turn of phrase, but crapping the bed <laughs> in terms of acting. that What they did with the two of them, sort of like, we're more alike than you think, and right. giving them a little uh, rapport was super smart. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it, it kind of helped make sense to why Barton would like still stick around with these dudes. I mean, I guess she's kind of got a budding crush on Ryan, which might be reason enough, but... Uh, yeah, I, I kind of rewatching the episode. I was like, I wonder why is she, what does she find interesting about th- either of these two people? Mostly Ryan, but um. now my issue becomes um, that they don't really. You'll you'll notice as we go through the series, but they don't really keep pulling this thread. Um, all of the interesting, not like the others character development that Barton gets is is soon washed away I think mm. if unless my memory is failing me um, this sort of and we'll talk about this more in a second the sort of subversion of Barton's interests doesn't really hold up I don't think mm-hmm. but you had another O scene I well the other one I had was uh, the model home firefight scene which we kind of which was yours so I got I think I got my takes in on that uh, oh wait it's huge I, I can't believe I almost missed this the CGI of the fire outside do you remember that scene where he drags them out and then they pan up to the window where the flames are coming out and it just looks like the fakest thing I've ever seen <laughs> did you it notice looks that? like it, you know what so I was gonna back you up but actually. In rewatching it, I didn't notice it. So I don't know if this counts as one of our uh, TM patent pending double takes mm. where we don't where we don't agree. But I didn't. It didn't stick out to me. I didn't really? notice it. I didn't. I didn't praise the graphics, of course. Um, but I did not notice them being bad. Okay, fair. I I thought it was laughable, and then also you'll see when they go when uh, Sandy and Kirsten show up within the police are there after the fire has been put out. There was also some pretty poor CGI to make it look like it was burned. Clearly, they didn't burn an actual you know like model or you know an actual home uh, for this TV show. I'm, I'm sure like whatever the fire inside was real, but I'm sure that was on a set somewhere. But yeah, that also kind of stuck out to me. Um, yeah, get a. They didn't really exactly have James Cameron uh, doing the <laughs> visual effects for this show, but he was busy. I don't know what he was doing at that time. I think that Titanic was the was already out. Budding, budding seeds of the Avatar, which would come out uh, a scant Ooh. six years later. I think, but <laughs> yeah, that took a long time to make. Uh, okay, great O scenes, uh, and now I think the heart of the episode being this: the character development of Seth, Marissa, and Ryan. You know, it's kind of it's kind of what the the episode is seeking to do while hooking you in with the with the big set piece the burning building um let's talk about soundtracked okay soundtracked so we're going to take a look at some of the music that was featured in this episode um i'm going to kick it off first song 
uh, before, so this is, you know, they, they kind of start with, I guess it's not a cold open, but they don't do the title sequence first. They kind of just get right into it. California. So we got two California titled songs in this episode, back to back. California by Rufus Wainwright. That one stick out to you at all? It sure did. Uh, mostly because of the Rufus Wainwright sandwich that the music in this episode is. Ah, um, uh, I, I might I might have to check you on that, but I think I know where you're going. But anyway, I want to just quickly... Um, he so Rufus Wainwright also covered Hallelujah, right? Which is this? Yes, which is featured okay. later in the episode. Sure. Um, when I did my Shazamming, the Hallelujah that plays later was the Jeff Buckley version. Ah, well, you very very well might be right. I knowing that song as a Wainwright, I put it down as such. But uh, I wonder if there's any significance to that because we've got the Rufus Wainwright California up front, and then. Uh, one of his famous tracks on the at the end of the episode, but uh, I'm not sure if there's any significance to it. Hallelujah is a is a favorite in Hollywood for these sort of tender, intense moments, which is mm-hmm. the the rejection of Marissa. She sort of comes over, and this song is playing, and she expresses her desire to stay the night with Ryan, and Ryan says if you stay the night, I won't be able to leave and then sends her away. And she just, we're sort of like supposed to think that she isn't really used to rejection and she was, her heart's a little bit broken. So she runs crying while this song is played. Um, yeah, that's the and context. Also, so, okay. So yeah. So whatever version it is, I, I, when I shazammed it, it was the Jeff Buckley version. I think it's interesting that he picked a Rufus Wainwright song who I, when I looked Rufus Wainwright up on Spotify, the first like three, you know, most popular songs of him were his cover of hallelujah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Also, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but hallelujah comes up again, uh, in this season. Do you know which scene I'm talking about? Oh no. The first instance of OC trivia. And I, no. I'm, I'm looking out for it now, though. I'll save it. But um, so I just I have this theory that Josh Schwartz was just obsessed with this song. So that's all. <laughs> that's all I had for Rufus Wainwright. Uh, and of course, we get the um, the title, you know, sequence with Phantom Planet. I don't think we need to mention that every single episode, but just no. This, but this I, is the I first. Would. Yes, exactly. This is the first title sequence. So should we devote a few minutes, if if you want, if you're into it, to the title sequence and what we think of it? A quick appraisal. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I was I'm surprised at the the characters they sh- chose to feature. Summer is crucially left out, which is another. I kind of we I touch on this briefly. Summer really takes a long time in the series to kind of um, be a non terrible character. She yes, you that you couldn't have said it better, but you could have said it stronger. Like, <laughs> yeah. She she doesn't exist for how foundational she is to the show. These first two episodes are complete male jobs. She she like doesn't. I, say I disagree. Anything. I don't know if it's a male job. I think it's just poor writing. She's not fleshed out at all. She's just totally snotty and entitled and very one note. Um, yes, you're you're right. You're right. She's not given a lot to work with, uh, Bilson. Um, she is in a a bra and or bikini top for most of the first like five or six episodes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Quick note on that, um, but. Yeah, so interesting. I want to talk about the the order of appearance. Yeah, or my in, man. In the title sequence. Um, first billing. First billing, the man Sandy Cohen. Uh, that'll be, of course, Peter Gallagher, 
And then he's followed up by, this surprised me, Kirsten. The, the queen. Yes. Uh, Kelly Rowan. I like it. Uh, then we get Ryan, which you might expect, and then he, we get his counterpart, uh, Misha Barton. Uh, so so burned in my brain is Misha Barton here on my list of characters. I have Misha instead of Marissa. But uh, <laughs> then we go Seth, Luke, Jimmy. Yeah, surprising. Seth, Luke, the Luke, Jimmy. The Luke, Jimmy to round it out. Is, it, is Jimmy the final? Jimmy's where we end. We end on Tate Donovan, my favorite member of the title sequence because of his charming ear-to-ear grin that he hits us with. <laughs> Impressive set of chompers on Tate Donovan. Um, I, that always brings me joy to see him smiling at the end of the title credits. And when, <laughs> when they cut him in season two, it breaks my heart. But um, yeah, <clears throat> no Bilson. So that's nope. the number one thing. No Bilson, but yes, Tate Donovan. Surprising. And no Melinda Clark, although she does appear, she's the first like guest starring um, uh, Julie Cooper's. The yes, and that's the her. other. The other thing is no, no uh, Julie Cooper. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they will enter the title credits before the season's over. But that might be the fog of multiple seasons of watching washing over me. Fairly certain that those two make it into uh, Bilson and Clark make it into. Uh, the title sequence but not cool. yet and not yeah yet. so the and the, the song is cut real short the, the the you know you'd mentioned last time that they really let that thing go uh the first in the first episode but yeah i always it leaves you wanting a little bit more in my opinion i agree it's such a perfect fit like i like we mentioned we won't belabor this but uh belabor is also the word of the program yeah that's, <laughs> if you haven't noticed it. this whole thing is a belabor <laughs> of a 16 year old tv show so. watch out joe um, rogan yeah exactly uh but it really is such a perfect fit you always want just a little bit extra mm-hmm. um all right, so let's keep going on music, though. Yeah. That's a nice little sojourn. Um, there's a big music conversation in the middle of the episode that I want to talk about. Oh, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that you were thinking of it, too. Absolutely. So why, was it on your list? Do you want to set it up for us? Sure. Okay, so um, the next the next song that plays that I, I... This one I didn't have to look up. Rooney, terrible person. It's playing in the car while they're driving to the model home for the first time kind of starts off their conversation about music. Hmm. Um, a very stilted conversation, I would say. Uh, Ryan <laughs> Marissa asks Ryan what he likes, and he gives the classic everything. Actually, I don't really listen to music. I liked uh, that line yeah. um, from Ben McKenzie. I, it wasn't, like, delivered perfectly, but it's sort of like it was, what, like, an awkward guy who never had yeah. the luxury of, of listening to music would say. I, I thought it was pretty human. Also, um, it is the thing where I, I, I had this happen to me recently where someone asked me, basically asked me that question, and I just forgot every single artist that's ever existed <laughs> name. Yeah. You know what I mean? It and is. then you're just, and you're, and you're, you're kind of self-conscious about the first thing you say is like, has this like outsized importance on it because that's, that really is the, that's the real answer. You know what I'm saying? Like the first one that pops into your head. Is, Absolutely. You know, it can be argued that that is, that is actually what um, your music taste is. But you don't want to sound too narrow, but you don't want to go too broad. You don't want the answer to be cliche. It's just paralysis. It's paralysis it by choice. It's a tough uh, question. I, I always <laughs> hate a- I love asking it. I hate being asked it. So 
Uh, yeah, but after that, then the gold starts. Then, and by gold, I mean tarnished bronze. <laughs> the, the copper. The, yes. The copper piping that's being stolen out of the model home. <laughs> yeah. The conversation falls apart rapidly. But why? But why, Steve? Okay, so Marissa takes it upon herself to... Okay, so she she mentions that currently she's been listening to punk, and Seth kind of checks her on that. Avril Lavigne's not punk, and then she lists four punk bands. She does in I a manner down. in a manner that makes me feel like Misha Barton had just heard those names for the first time. The day that she <laughs> them. Do you want to hit me with yeah. the four? Yeah, Do I your think best, I Barton. got them in order. The Cramps, Stiff Little Fingers, Sex Pistols, and The Clash. That's correct. The order might be, I think it ends with Sex Pistols. That's neither here nor there. But um, just terrible shit from her. The Bartometer. <laughs> so, okay, listeners, what the Bartometer is, uh, we had we had the, kind of this idea that we'd kicked around and decided to kind of stray from. But um, we wanted to evaluate Misha Barton's acting prowess in each individual episode and call it the Bartometer. Uh, because it's so mercurial. It go it, it, it fluctuates wildly. And and it's it in in my house at least, the opinions on it fluctuate wildly between me and my wife. Actually, my wife's opinion uh, never wavers that it's terrible. Uh, in fact <laughs> it's, it, it's cemented to the bottom of the Bartometer. <laughs> was the subject of one of the biggest fights that we ever got into that we'll save that story for a later episode. <laughs> but um All right. It's just be only because I already did an anecdote. I'm, I'm letting you off the hook <laughs> yeah. for this one. No, we'll, I'm we'll dying to tell one. it. I just I want to save some stuff, you know. Um, but anyway, so the bartometer, uh, yeah, the the needle really broke off there um, with her naming those um, the, those punk bands. Just, if I were no wiser, I would I would say she was forced to read them off a prompter or something in yeah. front of the car as they were driving. She she really stumbled over each of them. Stiff little fingers. It sounded like each word in that name was was like foreign to her. Um, and I, you know what? To to the credit of the show writers or to or to the producer who seeded this scene, uh, I hadn't ever heard of the Cramps and Stiff Little Fingers. Were you? Are you familiar with those bands? No, I never really had a, a punk phase. Um, I yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, a blind spot in my music knowledge such as it is um same but yeah. same but I, i'm i'm given the the uh i'm I, it's suggested to me by the delivery that they're somewhat in the know bands like the clash and the sex pistols are are super famous sure yeah i think she needed to throw a couple in that you maybe haven't have heard of just to to prove her credentials mm, yeah you know what i'm saying and then what happens to Seth after that? Also, I think sort of, even though he's usually great at slinging lines, uh, I don't think he does very well in this scene either. So he's he's bummed that he listens to the same music as Marissa Cooper. Yeah, and is this preceded or or does it precede Seth's like lamest reaction in the whole series when like Marissa delivers him some milk toast low level flame? And then his reaction, his reaction is to be like overly wounded. He goes like, oh, ugh, oh, in the back seat, like, oh, you got me so good. But it's like the most Chandlerian overreaction <laughs> of sarcasm that has uh, that ever pollutes his dialogue in the whole series. 
Um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but I didn't do I love the way I love the, you really put some flavor on the explanation of it. Um, yeah, no, he, so he's bummed that, you know, he, he finds out that Marissa Cooper and him share music tastes, but I will say, I do want to, and this is against the narrative of the episode. Um, I want to throw one little life ref, just sort of underscoring why the Bartometer will will recur over and over. Because despite the like absolute abject horribleness of Misha Barton's deliveries throughout the episode, she does get one tiny little sparkling gem in this dialogue. And it's when they're surprised about her listening to punk music. She sort of shrugs and give, delivers a very sort of nonchalant, I'm angry. Yeah, I like that. That was that was really good, but mm-hmm. uh, not enough to save the performance. Certainly not. Uh, moving right along, uh, the next song that I that um, caught my attention was "Caught by the River" by Doves, uh, mm. who probably most well known for "Black and White Town." I love that jam. Oh, uh, that is a good jam for sure. I, I didn't know it's by Doves, and I don't know Doves. I don't have that on my list. Okay. Um, I only I only want to talk about that. The song is neither here nor there, in my opinion. It's fine. But um, this plays while they're on their way to get food. After the, he he you know he's like they they brought the supplies to the model home, and he's like, did anyone bring any food? So there's a short montage of them frolicking down the pier. Uh, ah, yes, but, the, this is an important scene for a so lot of reasons. I just I don't want to. You know, point out that we're not doing the takedown breakdown this week, but I had this in that section. So Ryan's a missing person at this point. Do you think that they would just be like having the time of their lives, like going to get lunch uh, down on the pier? So I have this triple underlined in my notes. <laughs> I, it says, in quotes, terrible plan. Then, underlined three times, immediately go gallivanting. Yes. Question marks. The police are actively searching for Ryan. Yeah. In the town. And they they don't sneak off to a gas station to get some ho-hos. No. Oh, or how about this? Ryan, stay there while they go to the grocery store and get canned food or whatever. What, you know. Yep. All great ideas. Nope. We are going to go down to... We're going to frolic, as you so aptly <laughs> put it. Uh, riding on each other's handlebars. Seth doing skateboard tricks, which we'll, we'll get to this perhaps later. Perhaps not. Uh, to a place, a restaurant with only one exit. Not not from the not from the restaurant, but they have to walk up the entire pier. Yeah, if they want to leave. Right. It's so perhaps passing. the most foolhardy plan I've ever heard. The odds of somebody seeing Marissa and or Seth if they know, you know, if we're just if we're, we're thinking about this in real life terms, the chances <laughs> of you seeing someone you know on your walk to the pier are like over fifty percent. I'd I'd say close to eighty. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and yeah, and just okay. So <laughs> logistics, <laughs> logistics of the scene aside, though, it's very tender. It's very nice. Yeah, it's um, a fun, a fun little uh, romp to the diner. Uh, looks like a great time. Misha Barton riding on the pegs. I used to have a BMX bike with pegs when I was a, a lad, and I definitely <laughs> never had anyone. As attractive as uh, Misha Barton <laughs> right on my pegs, unfortunately. But I had a lot of buddies, a lot of male buddies uh, that I would hitch rides with. So I'm familiar uh, with that life. No one ever covered my eyes, though, while I was riding. Dangerous. Did you notice there's that? A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people. He could have easily hit a kid or, or gone over the side. Um, 
But quickly on Seth's skateboarding skills. So he, I think in that scene, he's like sitting on the board, like riding down the pier. And then in the previous, uh, the first time they go to the model home, you see he's all amped because there's a an empty pool that he uses as a half pipe. What did you think of uh, the masking the stunt work there with uh, Adam Brody? Or do you think that was actually Adam Brody on the skateboard? No, <laughs> it was clearly not. It's clear not Brody, but they did a good job. He he was looking away and in the background. I don't I didn't find that egregious. What I found egregious, and actually me and, and Sarah disagreed on this. Um Seth the skateboarder? Question mark? Mm. Does this happen Skateboard throughout Seth. this does it happen throughout this season? I I didn't remember it as being foundational to his character. So if it does go away at some point. He uses it as like a method of transportation. I don't ever remember Seth on a bike. I feel like if he's getting around, you know, non-automobile style, it's on a board. I I think you're right, but like throwing down holds on the half pipe. Yeah, no, that that no. It's I I I always remembered him as more of a longboarder, which which makes sense when he's sitting on the board like going down the pier. That's kind of how I envision Seth um, riding a skateboard, not actually doing any type of Tony Hawk moves. <laughs> Got so it. Like, do you have any other like music? It. Do you have, do you have any final uh, notes, so to speak, on the on the music of the episode? No, just ended with the uh, Hallelujah, uh, Jeff Buckley, or I, I think it's the Jeff Buckley version um, that does reappear later in the season. No spoilers, but uh, yeah, like you said, that very like a tender moment. I I kind of looked up. I like that song. I've never bothered to look up the lyrics. I va- I vaguely know a few parts. Not entirely sure what that song is about. It sounds super sad. Um, it's usually played in like a tender moment, um, but I don't know. It, I always get the sense that it it has a real deep meaning, and I've never bothered to explore it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's a it's a very popular song in the broader zeitgeist of the country. Um, I th- I think it has political undertones and then some sort of romantic undertones as well, but. That's a different cast. You go ahead and listen to the Wainwright yeah. cast. Uh, Actually, I don't Leonard, know the guys Leonard that Cohen. Do it. So that's Leonard Cohen wrote the song, and then so it's been covered, you know, a you know myriad of times. Uh, yes, but anyway, and so that I, that'll reappear. Maybe I'll do my homework um, for the the next time that sh- that song pops up. But ooh, I'm very excited for it. But what I'm also excited for is a quick look into the B plot, which I think blooms nicely in this episode in a segment we call "Bees Get Degrees." So Bees Get Degrees is, you know, it's a pretty self-explanatory name. Uh, B-plots are an important part of all modern media, but I think they're really a, a strong and diverse force in, in the OC. Since the main plot is always so like large and looming, these B-plots, these satellite uh, plots, are, are a lot of fun. And I think we start off with one of the, the series throughout its four seasons, one of its best. Uh, which is predominantly, but not always, the Jimmy Cooper financial fallout. Mm-hmm. We touched on this last episode, but essentially he's an investment banker. He has made some speculative investments and he has bankrupted the family, essentially. Um, we get his crying scene in the bathroom in, in episode <laughs> one, which I love, Steve, lukewarm on it. Uh, but... Uh, in in episode two, it's less about his performance, more about 
the mechanics of the plot, and I think it's a great time to talk about it. Yeah. So okay, do you, you let let me know what you think. Because I what I've got I, the thing that I want to talk about is the Jimmy Cooper and Kirsten history. Yes. So yes. and of course this this kind of dovetails nicely with the uh, the financial issues because there's that scene very convenient um that they decide to meet in the model home where the kids are um very For... clandestine meeting there <laughs> like they couldn't do that at lunch like why do they go why are they going to the model home yeah there's no there's i i mean they they do they mask it because they like kirsten wants to show um jimmy because it reminds her she she sort of modeled it after uh, a childhood home, Jimmy's father's home, in which they spent a lot of time together. Okay, and this I'll, is the moment. Where I'll give you the benefit are... of the doubt there, but I I don't think that she actually modeled the home after Jimmy's childhood home. I think he comes, he does mention that, but I think that was more of a coincidence. And I think I don't know, just the way he was describing it, he's like, yeah, the high ceilings and the crown molding. It's like, okay, that's like, <laughs> you know, that's like two. <laughs> That's in every I mean, house. The, I'm a real estate agent. I'll tell you that's in every house. Not only like 6,000 square foot mansions in Orange County. <laughs> but I've never seen. All right. Anyway. I mean, we'll count that as a double take. I think it's pretty. I think I think Kirsten has is sort of holding on to a torch for those younger days. And it's, okay. it's um, reminiscent in her design for this home. Um, but, you know, that said, they they come there and then were revealed through that conversation that what was hinted at before that they are former sweethearts. Mhm. Well, he yeah, he says I had my first kiss there and she said so did I. So we're they don't that was kind of nice. They don't just like outright say it, but we we understand. Very cleverly that. written there uh and a nice moment. The two play off each other very nicely. Um but then it is revealed. This is and this is an important uh plot element that will continue to be important going forward jimmy asks kirsten for money Mm -hmm. and this is a super rich part of the episode because you know we get all these dynamics unfolding all at once it's jimmy's vulnerability he sort of a domineered man in his own relationship goes to this friend and former lover asks for a very large sum of money one hundred thousand dollars Kirsten does not balk at Doesn't all. Doesn't bat she, an eye. Nope. She and this is, says a lot about her character too. She control of the family finances. Does this without telling Sandy. Yep. Puts in a wire transfer for the hundred thousand dollars. Jimmy, desperate. Uh, and I don't want to get too Freudian here. Desperate to decastrate himself in a following scene tells julie who we'll we'll go back to in a minute um that he has figured it out Mm -hmm. he's figured out the financial problem we're all good his his solution was to beg his childhood girlfriend for a huge loan (laughs) uh but so that sort of like remasculates him yeah. Uh, now he he's, he has uh, freedom to watch ESPN Classic on the couch with a Corona. Now that he's <laughs> he's figured out all their money problems. Yeah, he's really he's what he's done is kick the can down the road. But uh, it's good enough for right now. Um, but I do want to. I and I'm dominating conversation, so I'll, I'll let you in here in a second. But what I think is also entertaining 
is the preposterous financial burdens that Julie heaps oh, yeah. on Jimmy in, yep. the, in the early part of the episode. Ponies. Do you remember what some of these are? Ponies with alopecia. I love <laughs> yes. that scene where uh, Shailene Woodley's... I can't remember the, the character's name, but she walks into the she walks into the room where they're arguing, and she's in the full riding gear. And I love China. Yeah, the the horse's name is China. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love yeah, it's China. really bad. <laughs> yeah, Just make sure really make sure the listener knows. I'm not talking about the the nation. Um, but anyway, so yeah, um, Jimmy Cooper and Kirsten, former lovers, uh, was. Brought up briefly in episode one, um, Seth mentions, you know, her, Marissa's dad almost married my mom. Sandy's like, they didn't almost get married. He kind of gets like briefly defensive and kind of a, a joking way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm dying to uh, see how this unfolds. I also, it also gave me a thought, if they were ever going to do an OC prequel, I would love a, uh, a Jimmy Cooper and Kirsten uh, and Sandy love triangle show where they're as young people. Um, see how this whole thing started. Are you out there, Netflix execs? Yeah, come on, let's do this. And uh, I would watch every episode. I was thinking about this a little, even a little further, because then you get Julie Cooper, you know, who comes in. She's kind of the Ryan, you know, the person from the wrong side of the tracks. Except she's got a totally different attitude. She's like a, a she's she's there to climb, you know, socially uh, yes. and financially. Um, so good, good parallels there. Uh, but yeah, I want that. I think that we deserve that. Maybe once we get through with this, we'll send, we'll send this podcast to, um, Ted Sarandos (laughs) there over at Netflix and just be like, the streets want it, man. Bring back the OC prequel. Uh, the nation demands it. Um, what, you know what? I also had a sort of a, this is a take. It's an actual take. Oh boy. Clear out. The Ryan runaway elements of the episode feel like a B-plot to me. Hmm. Do tell. Here's why. Not not the hideout, not the Marissa, Seth uh, capering. That seems like the A-plot. But with the Sandy Cohen trying to save Ryan, get him through the foster system, it's pretty fun foundational that Ryan betrays his trust like this. But it yeah. feels really secondary. It feels really secondary in the way that they put the information forth. I think part of it is the episode's just so chock full of stuff that they can't spend too much time on it. Uh, the other thing is it's kind of an uncomfortable moment. It, it should really sort of destabilize the Sandy-Ryan relationship but they can't really have it doing that because it's such an important relationship going forward. So I thought it was just very interesting. That's that a great so take. Strong. That's oh, a really great take because he's really fucking over Sandy there. Because if Sandy, you know, Sandy's responsible here. If this kid goes missing, that, that's Sandy's ass. You yes. think? I don't really know how the legal system works, but um, <laughs> that's a that's a big deal. You know, like you you took in this kid and now he's gone. Uh, that's a problem. So yeah, big that problem. is a, a big betrayal of uh, trust. If I was Sandy, I would be a lot more worried, you know, because when he's looking for Ryan, he's mostly doing it because he's like, oh, we, you know, I guess he thinks he's doing it for his best interest. But if I was Sandy, I'd be like, I gotta cover my own ass here, find this kid. I would be, I would have a lot of ass fear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any any notes from you on the on the B plot that we haven't covered? No, I yeah the the uh, the one that we highlighted the Jimmy Cooper and Kirsten. Um, you know, excited to see how that 
uh, goes uh, moving forward, unfolds moving forward. And uh, I don't know, just the way they um, they set that up with the kids kind of overhearing it. So they know, you know, they heard it firsthand. Uh, I think that also makes it a little bit more juicy. Yeah, it's it, it leads to a really good moment where Tate Donovan is hugging Misha Barton and he mm. says, come on, kiddo. We tell each other everything. And then and then Misha hits him with her only other decent line in the whole episode. Do we? Do we? All right, so is this episode foundational or is it filler, Steve? You're putting me on the spot here. I am going to say foundational for this reason. If you approached an OC fan uh, and said what happens in the model home, I think they could give you a pretty good description of the events. Whereas I think the... And that might just be the, like I said before, that's just like the, the it's all in the title there. But uh, a lot of memorable stuff uh, happens in this episode. Um, it's still early enough to where, you know, like we're still learning a lot about these characters. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely foundational. Yeah, not one of my faves. And I, I, don't, I still feel like the show really blooms uh, later on mid-season, but um, I think it's foundational. What are your thoughts? Couldn't agree more for the exactly the same reasons. I think um, it, it's foundational because of how important it is to the plot. We get a lot of character development. We get a lot of drama infused into the actual set pieces of the plot. And uh, it's it's memorable. Now, of course, I sort of conflated the ending. I didn't really remember that. But that's one anecdotal uh, reaction. And I think generally it's an important episode. So I think solidly foundational. Mm-hmm. Uh, so without further ado, should we launch into the tier list? Let's do it. Do you, should we do a recap of last week quick? Uh, yes, very quickly. I can pull that up. I've got uh, mine. I've... Oh, cool. We're sitting at, for Vince, Marissa, Seth, Jimmy, Ryan, Sandy. It's going from five to one. Mm-hmm. And then I've got five to one, Jimmy, Marissa, Kirsten, Ryan, Sandy. So I'm dying to know who, who leapt into yours and who fell out. uh falling out i think is is uh predictable in this episode uh trying to be as impartial as possible jimmy and uh marissa are out Mm, okay so where are we at with number five for you uh it's perhaps a little contrived but I, i stand by it i have luke at five okay and i think luke at five is important because it's one of the more important Luke episodes we're ever going to get. It's also uh, an episode where he showcases sort of a range in a weird way. He's like truly bully moron. And then he like he like carries Ben McKenzie. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He does uh, the right thing twice. Yeah, exactly. And I think he he acts good enough to land him at number five given his plot importance. I had him at three. Um, I think he, yeah, he came in off the top rope of this episode. So I've got a, I've got a couple that fell out, but Luke, uh, he saves Ryan's life. He comes in at the end to take some responsibility. Um, outside of the homophobic slur, I think he had a pretty strong episode. <laughs> yeah, now, that wasn't good, but uh, he, he also hits a couple of, like you already mentioned it, your long way from eight mile is just such an awesome. <laughs> As he takes Ryan's hood down, it's such like a it's an alpha move. Not that I ascribe much value to that, but it's good TV. 
It certainly is. But he follows it up with the the lamest uh, what are you, <laughs> spokesperson for Geeks of America. It's, it's that hot seems, and cold. That, yeah, extremely. So, okay, so he's your five, my three, my five. Uh, Jimmy, stay, keep in the five spot for my list. Mm. Um, I, I just want to highlight the scene where he's talking basketball or he's, you know, he's drinking the beer on the couch. Lakers Pistons. He nails it. Oh, I double take time. Uh, I didn't feel totally natural to me. Uh, worthy, oh, James Worthy. He saved us. Shot the lights out. Uh, didn't you feel know like what? a total I, Laker fan. My take family. might be softening now in the harsh <laughs> light of day. <laughs> yeah, he belabors the players' names a bit. I said belabored again, um, but <laughs> he he does sort of struggle. Maybe you're right, but he just seems sort of blissful. That's why he I is, like the scene. He is blissed out for sure. I, I just I'm I'm questioning his credentials as a basketball fan. That's all. <laughs> Might be. A I don't fair. think he's I don't think he's doing a bad job acting wise. I just think yeah the way he's re- uh, kind of uh, shades of Marissa reciting the <laughs> names of the, the punk bands. Not entirely sure he knows who James Worthy is. Tate Donovan. But uh, uh, who's your number four? Four. Uh, I, Seth breaks into my tier list for the first time. Um, he's he comes through with the quips. I like that. That's really foundational to his character. The sarcasm. I'll handle Johnny Law. I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. He's like I'm in the when they're in the model home and um, they're they're like are kind of like showing Ryan what they've gathered for him. And Seth's like, I meant survival supplies like rope or muskets. <laughs> yeah that's uh, he no i had muskets written down as well that was so good he's also my number four uh so okay. for the same reasons uh he we're starting to get we're starting to get warmed up seth's, for sure seth's routine is starting to come together big time the petulance really and the sarcasm because he's sides of the seth coin he's definitely petulant in this episode a couple times so um but yeah four for me for him who did you have it for I had, four, I had Seth at four as well. Oh, right, right. Okay. Uh, number three, I had Luke. So who was your three? My three was Kirsten. Okay. Um, so breaking in to the top five for me, I think we're starting to come abreast of the, one of the better linchpin characters of the program, which is the torn between two worlds, Kirsten. Mm-hmm. Uh, she surprises she was sort of like the uh, a tastefully done doting worrying fretting socialite mom uh in the first episode but we get a sudden depth a trench in the ocean of her character uh going behind sandy's back to give a hundred thousand dollars to jimmy is uh is awesome it, <laughs> it it paints her in a very interesting light it's a power play totally uh, but it's also one born of empathy um, and it also does this awesome thing that I, I look forward to in the later episodes of season one, which is this sort of like relationship between Julie and Kirsten, where Kirsten holds all the power, mm-hmm. just lording over Julie. And but that Julie's dynamic- the alpha in that, you know, I mean, she, she doesn't have any power, but she's got the personality and she's got right. the, the, the desire, the burning desire. The ambition. Yep. Uh, so that's Kirsten leaps onto the screen for me for number three. And, and you, so you were three uh, with Luke. So who's your number two? I think we might have a, a run back. I'm not sure, though. My number two is Ryan again. Me I think too. He really had another strong episode. 
Tell me why. He has some really well-delivered lines when he sends Marissa away. He he says, and it's a little it's a little saccharine, but he says, "If you stay the night, I won't be able to leave. Go, go." Mm-hmm. And as he says that, I really thought Ben McKenzie leaned into it. I thought he 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 tried. He sort of peaked. He maxed out his acting <laughs> ability, and I I appreciated it. Um, I liked the his physical acting, getting thrown around the model home. That was fun. Sure. Uh, can't I can't undersell the, the the physical action of the episode. Uh, and generally speaking, I thought he, when he told Seth to stand down and signed his the Foster contract, I was like, you know, this is the sort of thing that I do appreciate about Ryan's character throughout the series is that he brings an adultness, a world wariness, to the program that Seth obviously lacks. And that's mm-hmm. why their dynamic is so nice. True, true. I agree with everything you just said. I had so I had him at two as well. Um, you know, he he pulls the power play on Luke, makes him give him a ride while he's after he's hitchhiking. Also, yeah. I wanted to spotlight. There, there's a couple of moments of like weird glimpses of personality that come out of Ryan. Like so, you know, generally speaking, he's pretty flat. But there's yep. a, there's that scene where they're they're at the model home for the first time and they're like scoping out where he's gonna sleep and Seth and uh, Marissa are talking that's when Marissa takes the phone call and Seth's like tell Summer I said happy birthday and you know that whole thing but there's a moment where um, Marissa says to Ryan she's like come on stay you know like whatever and then he's like okay and so Seth goes to him wait a minute so when she says it you listen and Mackenzie gives Seth like a super sarcastic thumbs up really quick and then later <laughs> on in that same scene when Seth is like, you know, he's like, tell Summer I said happy birthday. And so uh, Marissa does it. And she's like, oh, yeah, she said thanks. And then Seth, like, really excited, turns to Ryan. And then Ryan, he does, like, the wow face and puts the flashlight up to his face. Yeah, like, a couple, like, sh- brief glimpses of uh, just, like, a, I don't know, another side of Ryan. I thought those, I liked both those moments. You, I, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and all that comes together to have a really, a really solid top to bottom uh, Ben McKenzie performance. And so it looks like we might align again at number one, unless there's a big upset. No, not for me. It's still Sandy. Sandy, number one. It should be noted that he takes a bit of a back seat in this episode, kind Mm -hmm. of. But the times he does make it to screen, he is impeccable. Indeed. I like the character building where he's talking to Kirsten. He's talking about, I was this kid. Uh, the scene in the car with Seth, I liked a lot. You know, they're talking and he, they're talking about running away or whatever. And Sandy ends the conversation by, if you run away, I'm coming with you. You know, kind of underscoring Ex- that he's not he's not totally, you know, he's not in love with the OC either. Uh, he understands the shitty parts about it. But I love yeah. that. Yeah. He, he also says in that same scene, I was that kid. Mm-hmm. And if people weren't looking out for me, where would I be now? That's sort of that. That's really. I mean, that's Sandy's character, and and uh, the lengths that he goes through, the hard work that he does, and he even ends the episode by shouting after after Ryan, "Keep your mouth shut." And then he looks to Luke, and you can tell he he's just brimming with fatherly love because 100%. he he says, and and you too, you too. He points after Luke, and he's he's looking out for everyone. Mm-hmm. I want to. Okay, so we've agreed. Peter Gallagher, Sandy Cohen. He's number one for the second week. I do have one note. 
I've got mm. not a, not anything about you know the performance or the character. His hair really stuck out to me. What is that hairstyle? He's got like bangs, or is it like a I grown out called, Caesar? So, yes, that's so. It's the it's a Caesar. Um, I was sort of struck by how little salt and pepper there oh, was. Dark, extreme. Do you think? <laughs> all right, are you? Dark. Is it being aided by something that color, or do you think uh, mm, it's being? It's definitely being ravenified by some <laughs> sort of. Uh, chemical i and you know what i don't like about it is that it's antithetical to to sandy cohen's character not to probably peter gallagher the actor who wants to look good on camera uh but you know doesn't does sandy cohen not strike you as a man who would embrace his salt and pepper locks and just allow himself to look the age he is 100 percent. also yeah he's just got like a weirdly youthful haircut like that mop top and if you just okay, listeners, please do this. Google Peter Gallagher and just look. There, there is no photos of him with that haircut except in that either photos from the OC or of that time. Very weird. It's a strange um, choice, but um, <laughs> <laughs> still, still love him. Still but, love uh, him. So, quick recap: I got Luke, Seth, Kirsten, Ryan, Sandy. Ryan, Sandy maintaining the top two spots. Yep, and I've got Jimmy still at five. Uh, Seth, Luke, Ryan, and Sandy at one. Mm. So good tier list, and I and this, the tier list is about to be blown wide open. We've got yeah. some episodes coming up that I I know will introduce some fresh blood for sure. Kirsten will not be off mine for long. I, I had to I just had to make room for Luke because again, like you said last week uh, uh, with Ryan, I don't think Luke's long for this tier list world. But uh, no, <laughs> I had to shout him out. In this yeah. episode. Well deserved, I think. Um, all right. Uh, so cliffhanger. The episode ends on a cliffhanger, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, with a slow zoom away from the police scene. Um, but what are you what are you wondering about for episode three, Steve? I mean, in some ways, we're back where we we were at the end of episode one. Ryan's future is in flux. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's what's going to happen to this guy, you know? Mm. Is he going to spend the rest of the series in jail? I don't know. What, what are you? <laughs> Who knows? The other thing um, I want to. Uh, the other thing I'm thinking about is Marissa's uh, graphic design um, future. Possibly. Did you see the? Uh, what did you think of the liner notes that she put in the model home mix? There. Have you ever made a mix CD that had li- handmade liner notes, or at least computer made? <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get a little look at that throughout the episode. <laughs> uh, nice, nice final shot here uh i haven't i haven't done that i did used to handwrite on the face of the cds oh sure yeah that that's not uncommon but yeah to make to to design your own little you know cover for a mix cd seemed uh shout out to the oc art department for that total doubt i dart what program do you think she was using you think it's she seems like a photoshop girl i don't think she has enough uh (laughs) in design seems a little too round Oh, I can say with certainty it was. That was what that was my peak of Photoshop use. I wasn't making CD booklets, but uh, yeah, f- Photoshop was available. You learn so much through the lens of the OC. Uh, I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, tell me what you what are you what are you worried about? What are you thinking? A hundred thousand dollars just doesn't disappear. I know. I know Sandy uh-huh. Cohen isn't the most financially astute member of the Cohen family. Uh, he's definitely top two though. Uh, so he will. Um, I'm wondering what happens when he notices forgiveness, scrutiny. Rage. How much money do they have to have to just have a hundred thousand dollars? Just 
like I said before, not not a second thought. Yeah, uh, we got you. Uh, well, they have, it's clear that they have a, a lot of money. Like Caleb, that's Kirsten's father, who we will meet later. Mm. Uh, but we do actually hear his voice for the first time this episode. Uh, he has an obscene amount of money, and then Kirsten herself makes a good deal of money in the Newport real estate market. So uh, they have, they have to be worth several million at least. You'd think, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Steve, this has been an awesome app. Uh, it, it's uh, foundational. We're starting. We're getting through the infrastructure of the show. Soon, we will break into the wild plains of mid-season one. Some would rightfully say the best the show's ever been. Uh, but until then, you want to sign us off? Yeah, take it till you make it. <laughs>